there's 730 photographs oh. in his collection. Pelicans, waterfalls, and Tilden. I didn't even know Tilden had waterfalls. Yeah, that looks like something out of Yosemite. That doesn't look like it's just above, you know, downtown Berkeley. Yeah, taken in February of 1986. Aerial shots of the city. This is incredible. This is quite the collection. We're looking at the Oakland Museum of California's website. That's producer Francesca Fenzi you hear in the background. The page we have open looks a bit like an Instagram account. Rows and rows of beautiful landscape photos. There's an aerial image of Tilden Park, shots from Pleasanton Ridge, the Black Diamond Mines, and Mount Diablo. All Bay Area landscapes. And all taken by a man named Bob Walker. He, he came west from the Midwest. And he came west um, <clears throat> basically just to, for an adventure. That's Judy Irving, a documentary filmmaker who met Bob in the 1980s. So he started out taking pictures and walking his dog. His photographs are still on the wall at the Park District headquarters. They're fabulous. Judy met Bob when she was making a film about the Greenbelt for the East Bay Regional Park District. She saw a few of his photographs and knew he was perfect for her project. I went over to his apartment in, on Clayton Street in the Haight, and on his wall were two framed photographs that he had taken in the East Bay Parks in the fall and in the spring. <laughs> Beautiful, same, same frame. I'd been wanting to do seasonal special effects in this movie, in this Greenbelt movie, like spring, and six months later I wanted to do fall. <clears throat> And I wanted to, to try a long, long dissolve between the two. This was something that nobody else had tried. I didn't, I just thought it would be smoother, it would be beautiful. And in the East Bay parks, with their fabulous golden rolling hills, you know, you could film um, a scene in the, in the dry fall and watch it green up, you know, in the spring. And all these things are in now the Greenbelt film. It's, it's our seasonal special effects sequence. And Bob Walker did most of them. By the time Judy found Bob, he was like the East Bay's equivalent of historic photographer Ansel Adams. Bob had spent years photographing the natural Bay Area landscape and was now an expert. He had a good sense of where things were because he had been there. He had these huge maps and he'd come home from every trip, and uh, he'd make little marks and little pin, pinpoint areas. He also cared deeply about the land. He'd take people like Judy, who were interested in his work, on walks through the scenery of his photographs. He got so active, he would, he would take folks to an area that he thought should be bought by the park district. And everybody would fall in love with this area, and then he'd give them postcards to write to Bob Doyle and the district. They would be stamped already. They'd write them. So he started his own lobbying campaign to get these, these places bought. This was Bob's sales pitch. Isn't this place beautiful? Wouldn't you like to see it preserved? Help me make this public land. And it worked. He was always positive. He was always civil. And so he did make a lot of friends in the East Bay. 
And he, he was responsible for a lot of land being purchased. At the time, much of the land Bob photographed still belonged to private ranchers. But Bob's charm and the fact that he was constantly taking photos made him an unlikely ally. And then he would go to the ranch house, he'd knock on the door, and he'd say, Hi, I'm Bob Walker. I just took a picture of your, of your ranch. Or he would do an aerial at that same beautiful time of day of their land. And they'd look at it and say, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, I recognize that. And he'd say, <clears throat> I'm really shortening what his rap was, but he'd say, you really love your land, don't you? And you'd love it to continue to look like this forever, wouldn't you? And they'd say, yeah, come on in, have a cup of coffee, you know. And he'd say, well, you know, you should really consider selling it to the park district because then it would be this way forever. And it would be a legacy. It would be your legacy. And you could be proud of that. Little by little, Bob was collecting bits of land for the growing park district. Eventually, another Bob, Bob Doyle, the park supervisor who was in charge of purchasing new land, decided to hire him on as an official contractor. So Bob Walker just was constantly telling Bob Doyle, this ranch is for sale, that ranch is for sale. He was out there walking around with his dog, and he often knew what was for sale before Bob Doyle did. So that was Bob. There was a reason for Bob's urgency. He was intense. He was really intense and focused. He was in a hurry because he had known since... 1985, that he was HIV positive. And so he was, he was on a roll. He wanted to save as much land as he could before he got sick. He just knew that the clock was ticking. I'm Shanna Farrell, and you're listening to The Berkeley Remix, a podcast from the Oral History Center at the University of California, Berkeley. This season, we're heading to the East Bay Regional Park District for a three-part mini-series. All of the episodes are set in the East Bay Parks and are about people who've made a difference. Some are stories that you're already familiar with, but haven't heard quite like this. Others are stories you might not know, but should. We're calling this series Hidden Heroes. We'll be featuring interviews from our East Bay Regional Park District Parkland Oral History Project, which is archived in our home at the Bancroft Library. In this episode, we'll be exploring the connection between public and private land and the communities that have formed out of this relationship. I'm a Bay Area resident, but like Bob Walker, I'm a transplant. I'm from New York, and I rode horses growing up. When I moved here six years ago, I was looking to start riding again. I began with a Google search. The first thing to pop up was a stable in Las Trampas, right in my backyard. I was surprised to learn that there was a stable so close to me, just a short drive from my house in downtown Berkeley. I didn't even need to cross a bridge to get there. It turns out that I'm not the first person to have thought about this. 
For 85 years, since its founding in 1934, the East Bay Regional Park District has become a sort of urban safe haven for horse people. Like Bob Walker and myself, Judy Bank was a transplant to California. She moved here in the 1960s. And, like me, she's been riding horses since she was a little girl. Horse, horses are very special creatures. Um, there's a saying that the outside of the horse is good for the inside of the man. And they all have personalities. And uh, they're just wonderful creatures. She made her way to the East Bay, where she rode her horse, Bucky, behind the Oakland Riding Academy, which was owned by another Bob, Bob Lorimer. He had people boarding there who wanted a jump course. So he had some sort of arrangement with East Bay Regional Park. And if you wanted to go up in school, you would go to uh, Oakland Riding Academy, you'd sign a release, you'd pay $10, he'd give you the key, and you could go up there in school. Eventually, Bob Lorimer moved, leaving the Riding Academy behind. That's when Judy had an idea. And it was about that time that we needed a facility for this regional rally. She wanted a place to hold a type of horse show called a three-day event. Uh, Originally, it was the test of a military horse. And there are three phases. One is dressage, um, which is... um, fine control of of your horse and that would demonstrate that you could control your horse in a parade and and in other maneuvers. Then the big part of it was cross-country where you would go across rough terrain, you would jump strange fences to show that the horse was bold and brave and fast and would be a good field horse. And then you finished up on the same horse in the ring with knockdown fences, uh, and that would show that the horse could represent uh, this country in uh, horse shows. And then your whole score is compiled from the three phases to, to get to the horse that had done the best overall. She reached out to the park district. We made arrangements with East Bay Regional Park to, to use it for a week. A week turned into another week, and then another. Judy and her equestrian friends struck a deal with the park district. And uh, we went up there with with the pony club parents, and we kind of cleaned up some of the fences and and brought in portable stalls that come in units of 20, 10 stalls on either side. And we put two of them on, on the longer court, and we put one out on the shorter court. So we were able to handle as many as as 30 horses. This newly improved area became known as the Hunt Field. While the Hunt Field was being built, another Midwest transplant was discovering the wonders of horseback riding in the East Bay parks. When I came out here, we looked for some place where I could rent horses. Mm -hmm. And we found Las Trompas Stables, which is in the Las Trompas Regional Wilderness Park. And um, they had a program where people could volunteer, clean stalls, feed horses, and trail guide, and get to go out riding. That's Becky Carlson. She moved to Alameda in 1983 during her enlistment in the Navy. She quickly began to volunteer at Las Trompas, 
the same place that popped up in my Google search. Becky took every opportunity she could to get out and ride her horse. Casey, she was a six-year-old quarter horse. She and Casey went on long trail rides, exploring remote areas of the park district. Well, Las Trampas actually had uh, a number of set trails. They went out uh, the valley trail and back along the creek trail for a one-hour ride. They went up Bollinger Trail and around on the hill or up to Elderberry and down the center. She volunteered with Las Trampas for 17 years, part of which she spent on the mounted patrol. Mallory Anderson was the police officer who was organizing that at the time. Mallory set up a series of obstacles for riders to pass to ensure that their horses could handle situations that might come up while they were patrolling the parks. And Mallory really swept house and insisted that it start off that everyone who was in the patrol first had to pass her entrance test with their horse. You had to open and close a gate. You had to mount and dismount from both sides and do trail obstacles that were there, um, going under trees and through brush and that kind of stuff. Becky tried to get another one of her horses, Whiskey, used to these obstacles. He needed a job. He needed a job badly. She remembers the first time they took the test. He failed. He failed miserably the first time we tried. Plastic bags on a stick, and he just went cowabunga goodbye. So that was not going to be anywhere near that. They ended up passing the second time around, and together, Becky and Whiskey patrolled desolate areas of the park. Las Trampas, unless you're down in the valley, it's, you very rarely see anybody, which is another reason for us to be there, because we were letting the park know what was going on in that park. There are places in Las Trampas I have been that I swear there has never been a ranger there. While Becky was keeping an eye on remote parts of the park, Judy Bank was making progress on the three-day event with the park district. I mean, we had steps going up, we had ditches, we had water jump, we had post and rail, we had banks. It was a great, fun place. Judy had designed the jump course while her friends were recruiting riders to compete on it. They got sponsored by a couple of professional organizations like the Metropolitan Horsemen's Association and the United States Combined Training Association. With this support, the events were official. So never underestimate <laughs> a small group of dedicated people. Riders like Judy and Becky had brought horse culture in the East Bay from a casual pastime to a more formal sporting event. But they weren't the only ones embracing equestrian life. Horse sporting culture had begun to mingle with the existing ranch culture of the East Bay. Don Stasa grew up in Livermore in the 1950s and remembers his first introduction to ranch animals. Livermore at, at that time was all farms and ranches surrounded the city. The stockyards uh, where they used to load the cattle on the trains were right down, right down on Main Street now. Uh, I can remember the cattle coming in and every boy in the world was sitting on fences around like blackbirds trying to see what was going on and, and look at the cowboys and the ranchers and, and you get to hear all kinds of good language. Don was fascinated by ranch life. His first jobs were picking hay, mending equipment, and feeding animals. 
nothing very glamorous, fixing fence and cleaning out stalls, but it, stuff that needed to be done. And so that's basically was my childhood. As he got older, he channeled the lessons of his early ranch experiences into another tough job, the U.S. Marine Corps. He enlisted before meeting his wife, Lynn. Lynn's brother was an amateur bull rider, a very good bull rider. He talked me into coming to some jackpot rodeos with him. And uh, I don't know if it was as luck would have it or bad luck would have it. I really liked the excitement. And so I started riding uh, amateur and uh, jackpot bull riding. Don hadn't owned horses or cattle growing up but he was used to being around them, and now he threw himself into rodeo culture. Rodeo cowboy and a, and a ranch cowboy are two different things. Uh, the rodeo has become a professional business, and now the cowboys, and I'm not saying that they're not ranch hands, some of them, but a lot of them are just great athletes that participate in the sport. And in terms of athletics, Don was pretty good. I had a desire to continue rodeoing after I got out of the Marine Corps. That's what I thought I might do for a living. He asked an older bull rider to watch and to level with him. Could he do this? He says, you know, you can win some money. You'll do good around here in a smaller venue, but you can't make a living off of it. It was a hard moment for Don, but one he's grateful for looking back. Bull riding is a brutal sport filled with broken bones and torn muscles, or worse. And he and Lynn were just starting a family. And so I quit riding bulls, which is probably why I can still walk. <laughs> Don's bull riding days may have been done, but that didn't mean he'd given up on rodeo culture. He decided it was something he wanted to preserve for future generations. I had rode in Livermore and knew some of the board members, and so I became a volunteer there at the rodeo. I'd help out. He joined the Livermore Rodeo Association, which got its start in the early 1900s. During World War I, the Red Cross put a toll on each city that they had to pay a certain amount of money to provide the services for the boys over in uh, France and Germany. And our town was small. It was just a little agriculture town. They didn't have any money. so. They put on a rodeo, and that's how our rodeo started. Don loved that story and the mission the Rodeo Association represented. It was a way to raise money for the country, build community, and preserve local heritage. So, so we're carrying on the tradition of what the rodeo was started for, and that's important to me. We're also providing history. We're giving little kids a chance to see what the West was like, you know? And I think it's important to continue. It just, it's a good way to get kids a different aspect of what life is. You don't get out. You don't get to do this stuff. Uh, we give them a chance. This is something that I can relate to. Growing up, horses gave me a chance to get outside, to build skills that shape my identity, and help me become more confident in myself. It also gave me an opportunity to bond with horses which are special animals. When I interviewed Judy Bank, she also said something that I could relate to. Horses are wonderful animals for young people to learn how to take care of them, to groom them, to take care of them, to learn how to ride. 
Talking to Judy and Don, I realized it isn't just about his or my or her childhood. They're trying to preserve the lessons of animals and land and history for generations to come. The Livermore Rodeo just celebrated its 100th anniversary. But Don says the work can't stop there. Everybody for the last 25 years has been working towards the 100th Rodeo. The 100th is important, but what's more important is that there's a 200-year rodeo. I won't be around, but uh, I want my great-grandsons and granddaughters to someday sit there in the rodeo grounds and say, my papa used to be in this. That, that would be worth every minute of the work I ever did. So that's what I'm hoping for. The park district is now 125,000 acres and home to 73 parks. There's hiking trails, there's swimming pools, there are camping grounds, and of course, there are riding stables. Now, when I look back at the landscapes in Bob Walker's photographs, I picture horses dotting the hills. It makes me understand why this land was so sacred to him and why he cared so much about preserving it. Bob Walker succumbed to HIV in 1992 at the age of 40, but not before he helped the park district buy almost 40,000 acres of land. A month before he died, the park district renamed a section of the Morgan Territory Bob Walker Ridge, his favorite place in the district. His efforts in land preservation laid the groundwork for much of what we see in the park system today. He put it best in an interview for After the Storm, a book featuring his photographs. Find something outside yourself that is yourself, Bob said. Then devote yourself to it with all of your heart. Thanks for listening to the Berkeley Remix, a podcast from the Oral History Center of the Bancroft Library at the University of California, Berkeley. Founded in 1954, the center records and preserves the history of California, the nation, and our interconnected world. This episode was produced by Francesca Fenzi and me, Shanna Farrell. This episode features interviews with Judy Irving, Judy Bank, Becky Carlson, and Don Stasa who are a part of the East Bay Regional Park District Parkland Oral History Project. A special thanks to the district and Beverly Ortiz. To learn more about these interviews, visit our website listed in the show notes. I'm your host, Shanna Farrell. Thanks for listening to the Berkeley Remix, and please join us next time.